Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 12. I'm Evan Colbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently streaming on Netflix. So you don't have to. This week, we're talking about Hellraiser. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This one's been haunting me. I feel like Hellraiser's been biting at my ankles for months now. I've just been waiting for the day we have to do it. So this is the 1987 original. Written and directed by Clive Barker, based on his own novella, The Hellbound Heart. Oh boy. And I've never seen this before. Nope. We, I think we mentioned on the podcast before, we tried to watch it. You tried to watch it before. In, and, er, yeah. Yeah, and didn't make it through. And then we tried to watch it in October for Halloween and made it 10 minutes. Yeah, so this is my third attempt. <laughs> I never made it more than 15, 20 minutes. And... I think the first time it was a few years ago, it was just like too grotesque. I was like, I'm not in the mood for this. It's a lot. And then when we tried to watch it in October for Halloween, it was the same thing. It was like, it was, it was specifically coming off the heels of Scanners, I think we talked mm-hmm. about on the podcast. Just super unpleasant, yeah. gore, not a great time. But this is uh, our first foray into a big franchise. And it's 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 kind of notable that this is something that's like left on, of all the, the big horror franchises, this is something that neither of us have ever seen a right. movie from. It's a staple, and I had no experience with it. I knew, I'd, I, could, I could identify Pinhead. Right. Um, if he was, if, if asked, I know that in Cabin in the Woods, everyone kind of always calls that one guy the Hellraiser yeah, guy because yeah. he's got the box and he's mm-hmm. got pinheads. Um, but other than that, I had no idea what this was going to be about. I didn't know any of the characters, unlike other franchises where I might know characters, um, from, characters the, yeah. from the, yeah, or like the murder weapon or whatever. This is like totally out of my, my uh, knowledge base. So. So I feel like a lot of people probably know about this movie, or probably more than we did going in. But mm-hmm. let's do a quick plot recap yeah. about what this is about. Mm-hmm. The film opens with a man, who we come to learn is Frank, in Morocco, and he buys a puzzle box, and then he's kneeling in a circle of candles, doing stuff with the puzzle box, <laughs> and then he gets his flesh ripped apart. Yeah, by hooks. It's like he presses a button on the box and little sparks shoot out. Probably the only like special effect in this movie kind of feels like, uh, and then hooks come and rip yep. it apart. And so then it's totally thrown in. We have no idea what's going on. And then a husband and wife move into the house. They enter the house, and we learn that it's he used to live there. Maybe he grew up there, or just used to live there. But and, it's, they, and they spe- they say specifically that Frank Frank used to live there. Used to live there, and he might be in jail. He might be dead. They don't know what where he is and or what happened to him. But they're just gonna move in. And live names? in this weird, decrepit house. Their names are... Larry and Julia. Larry and Julia. And Larry has another has a daughter, uh, Kirsty, who lives in the same town. Um, mm-hmm. He's trying to get her to move in, but she doesn't want to. She wants to right. live on her own. And Julia is the stepmother. Yes. So the plot is kind of complicated, but as they're moving in over the course of a couple days, Julia comes upon the room where Frank has been, been, living. Ri- been ripped yeah. apart. Uh, well, and... Did she find that first, or did she find his stuff first? Well, they find her stuff on the first day. Or they find his stuff that, right. No, that's important. But that leads... It is important, because it leads into... She finds his stuff, and that's how we know that she's in love with him. Right. when she finds these pictures... She finds these pictures of him in various compromising positions with women. He's clearly gotten around, and there's all these pictures of himself, like, either just with women, like, a picture of the two of them, or, like, in the middle of sex. And we sort of see her hold on to a picture that right. has him in it that she rips off the other woman's face so julia was sleeping with frank while married to larry 
mm-hmm. still still has the torch burning yeah. for Frank. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty hot. So when a little later, uh, Frank shows up as a crawling Corpse bag of thing. skin, or not skin, just like bones, bones and flesh. And fle- yeah, some sort of like that messy Cronenberg-esque mush. That- and is like, help me, help me. She's like, yeah. And I actually, we'll, we'll have a whole thing about that later. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's, I want to talk about all of that. But mm-hmm. so that happens. And so she starts making Frank more powerful. By murdering people. By murdering people. And uh, and it all kind of escalates from there. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, but there's basically, it's it's a tale of murder within this family. I'm curious about who you think the, the main character is. Because it's actually, it could be many different people. It's kind of everybody's individual journey. Because a lot of it's about Julia and focuses from her point of view. A lot of it's about Frank because he's the one who kind of, he begins the movie and he's the one who kind of started it all. And it kind of ends with Kirsty. So there's a lot going on. Um, about who is the kind of main character of this movie. I don't think it has one. I don't think it needs one. That's, it's just, that's just why I think it, it comes across very like, it's hard to tell the story yeah. of this movie in a few words because it's very complicated. And very conceptual. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you like it? Not particularly, actually. I'm, I appreciate that we watched it and I'm glad we were kind of forced to get through it because uh, I've been avoiding it and not mm-hmm. been wanting to watch it uh so i'm glad i know it um there's a lot of things that were surprising so i'm glad that like there's a i have a frame of reference now for this movie but i wrote down i just think it's really unpleasant and it was funny to watch because i think that there's a there's a sense of all horror movies that are going to be kind of unpleasant because it's about murder or it's about evil or demons or whatever like there's always going to be unpleasant parts of horror movies but this just like the way that there was all the blood and gore and mm-hmm. then there were just like bugs crawling over yeah. everything. So that's that's something I noted is that I think the most disgusting parts of this have nothing to do with gore. No. It's like maggots and rats and then like a rat is sliced open. Um, yeah, there's the part with the grasshoppers. Yeah, there's a man eating grasshoppers. There, it's, it's like just, really it's, gross. It's so, And that's the thing. It's so unpleasant. And I think that Julia's unpleasant and I think that Larry's unpleasant and Frank's unpleasant. And Kirsty is fairly pleasant, and then I think she becomes unpleasant. So there was just nothing for me to tie myself to in this movie. I just felt like it was all just like, I had my Cronenberg face on the whole time. I was just like, I don't yeah. like any of this. I don't have anything to love about this movie. I like parts of it a lot. I thought other parts didn't work. I think this movie is kind of hard to talk about. I think that's what we we're getting at in the plot recap, is it because is. there's so much going on. There's a, It's a lot of different stories happening. So I think I... we should let's address it story by story. So I think yeah. that um, let's talk about Larry and Julia. Larry and Julia, there and Frank, I guess, who is an inevitable part the of love this triangle. Yeah, yeah. I don't find Larry and Julia's like loveless marriage that compelling. But what no. I don't really understand is, and I don't want to get into this. Why is Julia compelled the way she is? Even before she finds out Frank is in this room, she keeps finding herself drawn to it and maybe it has something to do with like frank's energy um and then she there's very little resistance before she starts i mean the comparison the thought that i had was that this is little shop of horrors is frank being feed me and julia's like okay it is like that except she's even more evil she's evil seymour yes she is bad seymour evil seymour (laughs) uh i think that one my first like thought when i saw them is they're a weird couple to begin with yeah like i don't feel like they fit together at all 
Um, she looks to me like she's got kind of a weird Corella Deville thing going on. She just looks evil. She's got like super crazy eyeliner, um, and eye and eyeshadow, and she her hair when her hair got taller and taller, like as the yeah. movie went on. As she got more evil. As she got more evil. And there was just something about her that just screamed like she does not look like a woman who would be married to this little nerd. And I don't have a lot of like sympathy or empathy for her character of like her love for Frank. It doesn't no. seem like love. It's like this weird sexual thing. And Frank is revolting. And yeah. even before like we know him in the movie at all, there's a flashback sequence where we see her meet him for the first time where he like shows up like covered in, you know, like he's like he's in the rain uh, and he comes up to the door and he's just like, I'm here for the wedding. So this is even before she gets married to mm-hmm. Larry. Uh, Larry is there how they're conducting their affair. I think they have sex for the first time on top of her wedding dress. So he's just like a piece of shit, like bad boy. Yeah. And sh- but she's not like a damsel. She looks kind of like an eighties like high power businesswoman. Yeah. yeah. So it's just it, it it was just weird. I maybe I appreciate that they're like not really going with the trope there, but it was just odd from the beginning. Like things weren't fitting together the way that I like thought that they would or that makes sense to me she's just like she's a very odd well she's strong she's strong and uh larry's pathetic larry cuts his hand on a nail as they're moving in and like wanders around the house looking for dripping blood be like can you can you fix it help me help me like she's just yeah he's he's horrible and she definitely deserves better than him but frank's also horrible he's just the full opposite he's just an asshole he's just dominating her yeah which and is in a, a in a, serious, in an aggressive way. Dynam- dynamic to this movie is the S and M component of this of like the hooks. Yeah. So we should talk about this. Frank is like this like hedonist who like he wants to search for ultimate pleasure, and that's what leads him to this puzzle box because yeah. he thinks he can go to this alternate dimension and it's like the experience pain and the pleasure. Yeah. And so when he gets ripped apart, or whatever, it's about like the union of pain and pleasure, and he's like really mean and rough with. Everyone. Everyone. All, yeah. Presumably all women. It's not just exclusive yeah. to her. It's like all the women he's ever been with. He's very sexually aggressive and dominating. And uh, like people find him sexy. Yeah. He's creepy. He's really creepy. He's he's pretty terrible. His catchphrase is come to daddy. Come to daddy. Oh, it's really I horrible. Didn't, like I said, I didn't feel good watching this movie at all. I don't think you're supposed to. It's I don't ba- think that's it's bad. You, you can't. I don't think you can uh, criticize it for that. No, no, I'm not criticizing it. It's just with just my personal feelings was just like, I. That's what I. I mean, this is what I wrote down is like this movie is purposefully unpleasant. The like like we talked about before when you when uh, Julia comes into the, these rooms and one the fact that they're moving into this house is ridiculous. Like, it's a piece of garbage dump of a house. Yeah, and they could fix it up. But they walk in and there's maggots crawling over everything and there's rats and they're like, let's move it on Sunday. And I'm like, what? No, don't do that. Yeah. But it means that there's like cockroaches and there's rats everywhere and it's just so unpleasant. And then the characters are also unpleasant and there's just not a lot to love in this movie. You're not supposed to. It's supposed no. to make you feel really unsettled. Yeah. So Larry and Julia are a mess and... We get that pretty much right away. You didn't answer my question, though. What is it? Why is Julia so compelled to do some hammer bashing so quickly? Because she loves Frank. She's like, it's it's what she's drawn to him. There's something there, and I don't. That's when I, I think was she I, evil to begin with? 
Was she always evil and just, like, not inspired to murder? I don't know that I would describe her as evil. Even in the movie? No. Okay. By the end of the movie, I would not even really describe her as evil. She's She is under a spell. That is Frank's spell. Uh... There's something... Do you mean figuratively? Oh, figuratively, okay. yes. No, 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 not, not literally. <laughs> I don't think that he's magic. Uh, she's under his his sexual power uh, whenever he holds over her. She just remembers, like, the best fuck of her life and is like, yeah. I gotta get it back. And uh, I just think that she... Maybe she, there is something that that draws... Because he, he is alive. Like, he... Some part of him is living underneath the floorboards that is awoken when... Larry drips his blood on him. So it's not like she brings him back. Like, there is a presence there that might draw her up the stairs and into that little attic room. But it's also, like, it's just a room. It's not even, like, up a bunch of stairs. It's next to the bedroom. Yeah. So I think she's just walking around the house. Can I ask you another question? Yeah, what? do you think these people, like, do? Because there's a weird feeling here of, like, that they're really wealthy. Well, Larry goes to work. Right, but he's like, he's telling his daughter, like, don't get up an apartment, come live with me. And they are just going to move right into this house. And But there's just, Julie doesn't have to work for one. Right. She's like, a, she looks like she's going to go work in an office, but she doesn't. She just right. can go around seducing men to murder them all day. And they're getting this house. I don't know if they have to buy it. No, it, it belongs they own to it. Frank, they own it. But they don't, and they're not going to fix it up at all. Like, well, presumably they, they will. I mean, this movie takes place over the course of maybe a couple of weeks. They don't at talk most. about it ever. There's never any sense that they're going to do anything to this house. That's the exposition you want: is them fixing up the house and what jobs do they do? Yes, because this movie doesn't make sense without it. It doesn't make sense without their like a sensical world in which any normal person would be like, we should um, make sure that that little room that's not just an attic it's next to our bedroom is clearly infested with rats and they're not gonna do anything about it like they just don't seem to care at all about their surroundings and so they don't make sense as real people to me there's something about these characters that just feels so unreal and maybe that maybe that is on purpose but i just don't i can't connect to them i just don't understand like i don't really do with their lives and their days i don't really have a uh, rebuttal to that um i do feel sorry for frank his wife's a psychopath. Larry, you mean? I do feel... I don't feel bad for Frank. <laughs> he's a piece of shit. I feel bad for Larry. I feel bad for Larry, too. Because, um, yeah, he's, you know, he's feckless and useless and... He's boring and, yeah, but he's not He's not evil or... And he cares about Julia. He does. We don't know what their marriage... We don't know... We, we don't know how they fell in love in the first place. Like, we don't know what their... Right. Before she met Frank I don't and think they we were going to get married. Again, I think no. you want more exposition that... See, I don't want that kind of exposition. I don't care about Neither this family do I, But I want to see... Usually when I see like an unhappy couple, especially one that doesn't fit together, like Julia and Larry do not fit together, I want to understand what was there in the first place. And I think good storytelling would be showing us something that she loves about him, but Frank just has more. Not like she hates this guy. why they even get married in the first place when she could have been with someone like Frank all along. She yeah. could have left Larry before the wedding and just gone away with Frank, and she didn't. She got married to him. Yeah, I don't that think doesn't we make any know. sense. I think we're checking in. We're checking in on these characters at a specific point in their lives, and we don't need that background. Or it just isn't supposed to matter. There's yeah, there, like true. the point of this movie is not about that, which I guess is fair. I'd like to pivot to the other plot line, uh, which I think also goes to your critique. Which is the Kirsty plotline, which serves no purpose whatsoever. No. She is 
I don't know, she just got a job at a pet shop. Uh, she's like new there. Yeah. And she's... She only a, gets it like to pay for her apartment. She has a friend, boyfriend, Steve. We found out... I didn't know his name until like the end of the movie. I don't know who this dude is. He's like a family friend because he came over for dinner with the family. Yeah, but and he's that's like... And that's how like, they met, presumably. I guess. But like she's sleeping in his bed and he's sleeping on the floor. I don't know who these people are. He like shows up places looking apartment. for her. That was her apartment. Why? Then why is Steve there? Because they slept together. Or he's sleeping. No, they didn't. He's sleeping on the floor. Who said, who's to say they didn't fuck in the bed and then she was like, get on the floor? Because it's not sensical. This movie doesn't make sense. No one performs sensically in this movie. <sighs> That's not the way in which this movie is nonsensical. Okay. I still think that it could have been her apartment. Maybe they didn't sleep together and he was just like, it's too late for me to go home and I'm going to sleep on the floor. I also, this sort of comes around to the end. She keeps seeing a homeless guy and it doesn't really pay off at all not at all we could we could talk about when he's we get the, the one end. who eats the grasshoppers in yeah. their pet shop and it's such a horrifying image actually let's talk <laughs> about it now awful let's talk about it now once the evil is defeated we'll get back to that because that's all that's most of what i want to talk about you want to talk about this first once the evil is defeated mm-hmm. the homeless man turns into a dragon and flies away and it's yeah. like the end of the movie he takes the box yeah and he turns into a dragon and there's no reason there's nothing about that. He isn't connected to the Cenobites as far as we can tell. He doesn't look like a Cenobite. He's like, no, he's not even a dragon. He's like a, like a skeleton He's a, a dragon. skeleton dragon, yeah. Um, and there's no reason for him to have seen her. She doesn't have the box. No. There's no reason for him to be following her around specifically. For the first half of the movie. Yeah. Because he is. He is. Unless he can sense, like, oh, you've been to the house where the box is. But, it, like, it's weird. And he's just, he's not approaching her. He's just staring at her. And then he eats a handful of grasshoppers, and then she kicks him out of the shop. And that's the last time we see him. Yep. Until the end. Until he turns into a dragon. <sighs> Which is dumb. It's bad. I think that it's all unnecessary plot deals. See, the way that you, you want more details about this marriage, I I think the whole Kirsty thing could have been totally eliminated. I guess it's just because she needs to be around for when the movie becomes about her. We need to, like, Which care. is also weird. Like, I think that there's just this sense of it's so strange that Julia is kind of the main character for such a long time, part of this movie. It's her journey of, like, getting Frank back. And... Mm, no, because... No, because we're not supposed to have sympathy for her. No, but it's still her story. We don't have to have sympathy for, for the protagonist all the time. No, she's she she's not the protagonist. She's evil Seymour, but she's not the protagonist. In any case, it switches gears all of a sudden to suddenly be about Kirsty, and there's no reason for that, if only to have her be kind of like the sexy final one standing which is weird like you say all of the sudden yes i say all of a sudden interesting what is the that sudden is weird. i don't know oh no, i'm just curious. no 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 i have no idea i have no idea whenever people say that i'm like what's the sudden i don't know you're bringing i've never thought about this in my life I've linguistics never heard... with now screaming i've never heard anyone say all of a sudden i guess i have that's all i say i know that's all rational people we'll say. Look, we'll look it up after this and figure it out. No, it's just, it's it's as simple as there's two different ways of saying it. And okay. your side is wrong. I want to know what the right, I wanna, right. I want to know the right one is. Mine's right. You don't know that. It's a matter of opinion. You No, it's not a matter of opinion. Some things are right and some things are wrong. I want to know what the first one was. What's the first grammatical uh, version of that? In any case, I feel like the Kirstie storyline comes out of kind of nowhere. She's always a part of it. She's always there. But her suddenly... Be- becoming the one who has to defeat the evil is so strange to me. I don't know. It just seemed to come out of nowhere for me. Yeah. There's just no one else to do it. That's, that's, that's right. it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a weird storytelling. I feel like it meandered in a weird way. It's a weird meandering movie. 
I agree. Because there's a whole scene. This is when it really turned. Because I liked her a lot. I liked Kirsty at first. Yeah. I thought that she was interesting. She's pretty in a very different way than I normally see in horror movies. Like, what? She's a pale brunette. She's got, like, big curly hair and very dark eyes. Okay. And that's, that is different for, like, the kind of light, wafy blondes or light, or light, wafy brunette, brunettes that we see. She just has a darker look to her. Don't you think Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street looks the same way? No. She also has big brown curly hair. Nancy's wayfish, though. Okay. I think she is. I think Christy comes a lot comes off a lot more, like down to earth, and I guess she's barely in this movie for the whole character building. That's part. probably why I liked her because she was like she just did enough and was a nice character and was normal, and she react she would react to things in a normal way. Like there seemed to be this whole idea that like she and Julia didn't get along. Like her father kept having to be like be nice to Julia. It's hard for her. And at this point, Julia is behaving very strangely, but it's not because of Kirsty; it's because mm-hmm. of Frank. But when Kirsty does things like go upstairs to talk to Julia, she's just like, it's like there's nothing wrong. She's just like, oh, hey, yeah, oh, my dad's doing something downstairs. Like, she's just behaving very naturally and normally. And whereas everybody, no one else in this movie was because Julia's doing her thing and Larry is such a stereotype. I just like Kirsty was like something to hold on to. And then... She's very normal the whole time. She has this whole relationship with Steve that's really nice. And then by the time she gets to... What are you talking about? She has no relationship with Steve. Yeah, they have that cute little thing where they walk to the train together and then they have their first kiss in the train. And then she wakes up from a nightmare and she's scared and he comforts her. And she calls her dad and they have a conversation about it. It's just like... She's like a nice character. Okay. Anyway, she's nice. And then the second that she becomes involved in the main plot, she started to really irritate me. Why? I don't know. She just started to act really irrationally. There's, the, We'll talk about it, but the scene when she gets into the hospital, she just starts to suddenly act so weird. I, let's talk about it. What are, you talking, what are you talking about? So she has the puzzle box. She has the puzzle box. I wanna, let's, let's actually lead into this, because you know what? Before that is my favorite part of Kirsty, which is, I think the acting, especially, when she realizes she's confronted Frank. So mm-hmm. she's, she's uncovered the whole thing. We don't have to get in the plot. She's uncovered the whole thing, and she's confronted Frank, and... Do we need to talk about it all, what Julia is doing? Why? We haven't talked about it. Do we need to talk about it? She's killing people. That's all she's doing. She's specifically going out into the world, finding men, seducing them, making them think that they're going to get sex, bringing them back to the house, and murdering them in the house so that Frank can, like, steal their skin and put it on himself to make himself not a I think it's less... it's, It's more supernatural than that. He's, like, absorbing their... He's not literally putting their skin on because he does that when they kill Larry. When they kill Larry, he just That's what makes me think that he is actually like he's taking their organs and putting them in himself. And he's like he is forming a body. There there is a super there's obviously a supernatural element to it, but he is actually forming a body with the bodies of these these men. Yeah, and I actually think that um I don't know, halfway or two thirds of the way through, he's like of him putting himself back together, he starts wearing a suit. But he's still like this bloody, uh, he looks like Red Skull. Yeah. Because he's just missing skin at that point. He's got the muscle, he's got the bones, he's got everything. He's and he's just got clothes. Skin. Yeah. He can put like a shirt on his scary muscle body. Yeah. But so Kirsty uncovers this. She sees Julia taking a man, the presumably the last man, into the house to murder him. And then so she encounters bloody, scary muscle Frank. Frank, yeah, yeah. 
and he she gets the puzzle box mm-hmm. and the moment of frank like hits on her it's horrible it's horrible <laughs> come to daddy He's her uncle. He says it's Uncle Frank, and then is like, "You're beautiful. You're you grown up. You're so sexy and beautiful." It's so horrifying. When she realizes that Frank needs the puzzle box, and she can like use that to her advantage, I think the actress is really great in like taunting him and mm-hmm. just being like, "Oh, oh," and then like throws it out the window. And so she runs away with the puzzle box, faints, I guess. Yeah, because she gets into she the city. On the street. I kind of I, I like that part too. She was doing really well there. Um, she looks like she's kind of in shock. Mm-hmm. The actress does a great job, is what I'm saying. Um, and it for me, it was like, of course she's in shock. She just got, like, halfway molested by, like, her yeah. dead uncle. Yeah. But so she's wandering the streets, and she's got some blood on her from, like, Frank's bloody body. And it's just, like, I almost feel, I, I really did feel something there for her just, like, being utterly and completely, like, in shock and not knowing what to do. She passes out. She wakes up in the hospital. Tell me why you hate her now. Uh, this is when she's, like... <laughs> One, the whole hospital scene is really tonally strange. The doctor looks like, he doesn't look like a doctor. He looks like someone put a, like a doctor's lab coat on him and he's pretending to be a doctor. And I don't, I don't. I think that's just the 80s. I agree, but it was just, and I, this is when I was like, is it supposed to be like a real hospital? Because then they lock her in and I was like, is she in a mental ward? Like, What's happened? It was just it just got so strange and and weird, and then she is like making these weird faces at the doctor, and he leaves. Did you catch that weird face she made at him? Yeah. She kind of like almost like winks at him. It's a weird moment, and then he leaves, locks the door behind him, and she gets out the puzzle box, and there's almost like a glee in which she's like fiddling with it. Yeah. And I was like, what the heck are you doing? Like, don't play with this box that you just took from. Frank, who's clearly in some kind of bad, like, magic, why would you be like, I wonder what this does? Like, clearly something bad. It clearly does something bad. Why are you doing that? Because then it, like, she just starts to suddenly behave really irrationally, and I didn't think she was that person. And I feel like it's because this movie, you have to act irrationally to move the plot forward, and it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. I super disagree. I think that there's nothing irrational about playing with a puzzle box. That you just took from Frank, who is a monster. Yeah, you gotta see what's going on. Maybe it's no, the way to defeat you him. Don't. Maybe it's the way to defeat him. Okay. How would also, you know? It's a puzzle box. This is also my favorite scene in the movie. Is in the hospital when the wall turns black and the mortar is glowing yellow and blood starts to go back into the IV tube and there's like flowers on the television. She, isn't that after she uh, already goes into the tunnel? This is what happens. The wall opens. She goes in. To the tunnel, which is also stupid. Why would you do that? She encounters the like, scorpion. Movies. I hate her. Uh, the she encounters the scorpion, who with the it's the heads on the bottom, and it's or whatever the situation. It looks like a big scorpion, and it's crawling at her and running at her. And she just escapes it. The wall closes, and then everything starts going. And then the Cenobites show up. Okay, that's a fair tune in the movie. I actually not the scorpion part. I agree. Because I, I love the Cenobites. All right. I want to I segue into this. So I think the puzzle box, its implication with the Cenobites, is by far the most interesting part of this movie. I fully agree. It's actually interesting. So let's start with the, let's start with the puzzle box. I think it's interesting you brought up uh, Cabin in the Woods earlier because it's what I first thought of is 
the idea of like the implications of what this puzzle box can do and what it can summon and like the different configurations because there's all these different ways that it can be put together mm-hmm. reminds me of the basement of Cabin in the Woods when right. all the different ways that this can end and they have to choose. You have to choose, which yeah. is the idea of like you have to ask for this. You yeah. have to participate but more than that in this to make there this are so many you. options mm-hmm. that's what it seems like it seems like there's this whole universe that can be opened up by this puzzle box and well and all the I configurations think... mean a different monster too every can every time that you move the box in a certain way it means a different monster is coming a monster one of the cenobites oh i don't think they're monsters they're demons or angels, angels. <laughs> um I think they're monsters. I also think I think the the prop design is really cool. It is awesome. It is like simple enough to be plausible, but also like conveys a lot of mystery. Mm-hmm. Like if we're just focusing in on this puzzle box, just kudos for the creation of this. Like and it's, it's practical, awesome. right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like it's actually opening. It's not like a 2007 where it might look like yeah they might have tried to animate it so that it moves fluidly or whatever. This is like an actual box that you look like you could actually find and mess with. Do you want to talk about how the puzzle box works? Before we talk about the Cenobites? Sure. I was curious. This is, this happens more later when she's she's defeating everyone. Mm-hmm. But um, how how does she figure it out? So what she ends up doing is that she's like running through the house defeating the Cenobites. Is she's like configuring it a certain way in order to make them evaporate or disappear mm-hmm. or explode? To push it back in. Right. But like, is it intuitive? Like, how does she how does she figure this out? Is like the puzzle box telling her what to do? No, I think she's figuring it out. Because well, because no, Steve reaches for it and is like, fix that. And she's like, no. And she like, she knows. Because she's fiddled with it more than him. I actually think that's a hilarious moment of this movie when Steve tries to be like, press that one. And she's like, shut up. Yeah. It's hilarious. He tries to like mansplain the puzzle box. So you think, you think she does know? You don't think that has anything to do with the puzzle box? Like, I think that there's, if you look at the puzzle box, it is intuitive. It like, the specifically the star that we see the most, which is that it lifts up. And then when you twist it, you push it back down. It looks like a sun. Mm-hmm with like sharp edges, pushing that back up and back into place is intuitive. It makes the box, that's what that's, that's what's intuitive about it, is it makes the box square again. Mm-hmm. The goal is to have the box Make be a perfect puzzle boxes cube. square again. <laughs> uh, and so when when it moves in other ways, like I think whenever the, the last monster is, it's like, it's the, tri- yeah. it's the corner of the box. Yeah, yeah. She just has to move the corner back in to make it a full cube again. And so I don't think it requires that much knowledge or thought she's played with it in the hospital she is now fixing it mm-hmm. and it just is try you know you you just try to make it look like a square again so the main thing it does is make cenobites show up mm-hmm. and they are awesome i love them i had no idea one that there was any more than pinhead mm-hmm. i and he was fine but the rest of them are even better i think they're all amazing um their designs are all so, so cool, cool and different. And the way that they are clearly playing with pain. Yes. And that was what I, that's also what I didn't know about this movie. I didn't know that, that was kind of Pinhead's thing is like, that's why he has pins in his face. It's kind of like acupuncture or things like that, where it's like, it hurts, but it releases some yeah. feeling inside of you. But um, I don't know what all of their names are, but the one who is similar to Pinhead kind of in his the shape of his head, he looks more human than the rest of them. Um, whose throat is open. We should also say, like, other than Pinhead, these all seem of, like, indeterminate gender. I guess the, like, bigger one with the sunglasses is probably male, too. He looks kind of male, yeah. But I feel like they're kind of... Right, because they've got kind of a, like... They wear, like... Robes. Robes, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't say that they look female, but they could be genderless. They could be... Well, that, that, obviously, I would assume that they're genderless. Yeah. 
um, none of them, none of them uh, present feminine at all. There's one with lipstick. Who? They have, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe these things. They have like the things. Oh, the one that's like mostly teeth and he chatters his teeth? No. Okay. I don't know who you're talking about then. The other one. I think it's what you're talking about. She have Also lips- bald? Is- with the the, th- the throat being open. Yeah. I would not call that lipstick. I didn't think of them as feminine at all. In any case, they are my favorite because they, um, their the skin of their throat is open, like exposing like the inner, their esophagus. Mm-hmm. And then it's like pinned to their face. Yeah. And that was the most fascinating thing to me of like playing with pain to get pleasure is that like exposing of your of your organs and yeah. like the inside of your body is more fascinating to me than just like sticking pins in yourself. Sure. Like that, I, I just found that to be very interesting. I also don't begrudge Pinhead for us having been exposed to him a lot more. Of course. If this was the first time we, would, we were seeing him, we'd yeah. be like, whoa. But I just found the other one to be the thing, so interesting. The thing I found really fascinating. So again, like I knew there were other Cenobites just from like reading stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pinhead is the main one. Pinhead's voice is so interesting. Mm-hmm. I I didn't really expect he talks like this, and it's very it's very determined, and you know, kind um, of rolls over you. So like I've seen I've seen like Pinhead so many times in my life, just like you know, in the horror world, and I sort of like pictured him as like a silent, imposing like mm-hmm. presence, like just a terrifying mm-hmm, presence who doesn't mm-hmm. say much or maybe like says one liners and then like sucks you and all fades into the darkness yeah yeah. Yeah. no he's like chatty he's a talker (laughs) (laughs) no i like the cenobites a lot and the one with the chattering teeth is also really scary and Um, also i think the best stuff that happens in this movie is like when the cenobites show up because like there's like a scene where they show up when they're back in the house and like the shutters like lights coming in mm -hmm. and it's like really cool yeah so in the first scene it happens too like it looks like the moonlight coming in they're very interesting their whole thing do you want to can i can i interject with a a possible explanation. I meant to say this earlier. Mm-hmm. So, I found myself... We're, we're, we're getting excited now because we're talking about the Cenobites. Mm-hmm. Really being unimpressed by the first part of the movie and then liking it a lot. I thought it redeemed itself a lot by the end. I was, like, much more interested in it. I thought it was really boring at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it got much more interesting. It turns out that they shot this movie in order. And Clive Barker mm-hmm. also agrees that the first half isn't very good because he was still figuring out how to direct because he's never directed a movie before. That's really interesting. So the second half of this movie is better because Clive Barker knew what he was doing. He figured out how to be a director. That's really funny. So I think that's why... I also think that the first part of the movie doesn't really have Cenobites. It's all just them. It's all just Julia murdering men and, like, Larry being boring and Kirsty with her boyfriend and a pet in the pet store and that weird homeless guy. I don't know. I think that it just gets better when the Cenobites show up. Yeah, maybe because uh, they know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and the, I like their whole thing. I like what the point of this movie is. Uh, I just didn't like any of the characters or the way that it was happening. So this final confrontation is about Frank as Larry. He's killed Larry and taken his body. Taken his skin, which I always appreciate because it's always such a cool like acting challenge for the actor. I, was gonna, I think he did a great job he of being awesome like job. so different from the previous Larry. Yeah. And like I, he never really sells it as being the same thing. But he's doing an interesting thing of not being Frank. And I think it's cool. What do you mean not being Frank? Like, to me, when he's trying to be Larry, he's nothing like when he was playing Larry before. Yes. When he was playing a live Larry. Yes. You mean like the actor specifically was like, how would Frank play Larry? Yeah. Which is good. That's a really, yeah, yeah, I agree. That's really cool. He does a great job. But he's, (laughs) I can't 
think that Kirsty was fooled for even a second. She going, was terrified. He's going like, come here, baby. Come yeah. here, baby. Come to oh, daddy. Come to daddy. And then she's like, oh, my father would never say something as disgusting and creepy as that. Yeah. Can I say the, the thing that I thought was the funniest about that, though, was that Frank is so sexy. Uh, he's so yeah. hot. Uh, like, even as creepy as he is, he's like, he's always glistening and he's he tan. He has a physical, he's, you know, appeal. He's, he's, he's sexy. And uh, then when, and, and presumably Julia is always like, she's killing these men so that he can come back and like, yeah. give it to her good. That's all she thinks about is That's just all like she having about. sex with Frank again. And then when he finally becomes human again and like gets his skin back he looks like larry and i was wondering yeah. if julia was gonna be like disappointed that she doesn't get she has to keep fucking she has to keep like fucking larry her boring yeah. husband and i guess maybe what we kind of see is that it's not about what you look like it's about your energy and yeah. about your like confidence and power which is actually like an interesting you know lesson of this movie um because she seems to enjoy him just as oh, much course. it's just a very odd thing to be like you know, she wants Frank back and she essentially gets them both together. She gets this, in, this weird combination of Frank and Larry. Yeah. And then Kirsty beats all of them. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah. Cause they really just want Frank. Right. She convinces them when she speaks to the Cenobites, she convinces them that they don't want her. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't want yeah, this yeah. whole pleasure pain. She didn't ask for it, but Frank escaped them. And they want him back. And she's right. like, I can take you to him. She does that. They essentially sort of trick him into saying it out loud. He has to mm. say, I'm Frank. Was her last name Commons? Collins? Cotton. Co- mm, I don't remember. Something like that. But he has to say it out loud who he is. And then the second he does, they appear and they take him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that the so many of the practical effects of this look so good, especially the makeup on the Cenobites. Mm-hmm. And then awesome. the only special effects, which are the... Yeah, any of the non-practical effects, which is like the sparks when you're fiddling with the box, and then when mm-hmm. they explode at the end of the Cenobites, when she's sending them back to the box, mm-hmm. um, they look terrible. <laughs> yeah. Just like completely awful. I don't mind the awful. sparks. I don't mind the sparks. But well, the, the giant uh, skeleton flying away at the end is pretty ridiculous. I read, according to the DVD commentary, Clive Barker and, quote, an unnamed Greek man did all of that, like um, the glowing disappearances and the blue sparks or whatever... Uh, by hand over one drunken weekend. They just like got drunk and were like, "What?" Drew it on the the cells. That's hilarious. Yeah, I like the sparks. I actually don't mind them. Um, it's kind of what back to you were saying earlier of like all of the potential mysteries of this puzzle box. Because what's the color that happens when the Cenobites arrive? Blue. Blue or yellow? It's yellow when they disappear. It's blue on the box when they arrive. You're and right. It's red when she's. It's pink. Oh, it's pink. It's pink when she's fiddling with it when nothing happens, mm-hmm. and that makes me feel like what is because she's. It's pink, and it almost the box almost seems to like it. It's just sparking up, and it doesn't hurt. And it's only when she kind of puts her nail in the wrong way that it goes blue, and then the wall opens and the monster comes. Yeah. So like the idea of this box, like potentially rewarding her with pink sparks is really interesting. It made me very curious Mm -hmm. what the box, all like you said, all the potential ways that using this box could go. So the house burns down and... There's little pieces of a fire everywhere. It actually looks terrible. It looks really bad. Um, (laughs) There's like one chair on fire in the field. (laughs) I actually read they didn't have the budget to like, you know, burn down a house or like even burn down like as a model of a house. Mm -hmm. So they were like, oh, you know what we can do? We can like show a picture burning... And then cut to 
the already burned down house. Which is what they did. And but will the way imply that it, it. The way that it does is it means that there's a chair on fire. Like a full chair. Like 30 feet away. 30 like, feet away. Just like, on fire. There's like a couch on fire. Like not the way that a house would burn down. A chair would burn before yeah. like a wall would burn. Right. It's so silly. So she walks up to one of these fire pits and... Now Screaming is an advice podcast. Never throw away the magical torture box. If you have it... Then other people can't get it. I do. I don't know. I thought it was a good idea at the time. To throw it away? No, to put it in a fire. If she'd throw it in a dumpster, I'd be like, yes. But to burn it, fire is... You can't burn magical torture boxes. Fire is cleansing. Maybe she should salt and burn it. That would help. I guess. That's like, that's the idea. Is like, that's often why magical things get burned is because fire is, it's cleansing. And especially if that magic is like of the earth. We don't know what kind of magic this is. Wouldn't it be nice if we did? Would be nice if this movie was a, about the Cenobites. Yeah, I would love that. I'm hoping that Revelations is more about them. I think the point of the end. So what happens? She does that. The homeless man walks up, turns into a fucking skeleton dragon, flies away. There's a not very good visual effect where it's a vignette inside the puzzle box, and we're back in Morocco with a new person trying to buy the box. And I guess the point is that it never ends. Yes, is that there is no way of, to defeat yeah. this box. Yeah, which makes sense because there's like eleven sequels. Uh, <laughs> And I know that uh, Kirsty is in some of them. Yes, she's in at least the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is always it's always sad for a character in a movie when they uh, it happens to them again. I don't know Halloween. Uh, I was thinking I was thinking Nightmare on Elm Street where it happens to her so many times. Sure, but I think that's specifically really great because it's so much about Nancy and Scream. That's how I feel about Scream. Is like it sucks for Sydney, but like. Well, that's she handles is, it so well. That's because Scream is about Sydney and not the villain. Yeah. Whereas true. all these other things we're talking about are about the villain. I guess I don't mm. know what the Hellraiser franchise is about. I think it's about the Cenobites. I would assume because they seem age, they seem ageless and eternal. Yeah. Whereas like people have clearly cycled in and out of this process for of course hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe millions of years. Millions of years. All the times of human history. You know, uh, Clyde Barker wrote a really good book that I read as a child called Aberat. Mm. Um, it's like a book series. And I remember very specifically that, I don't know, I must have been like nine or ten, reading this book and my stepfather seeing there was a Clive Barker book and being like, never do anything, like never look at any other Clive Barker stuff again. <laughs> if you see Clive Barker's name on something, don't read it. Why? I don't know. I guess because it was like, it's like... Scary? Scary or gross. Or, I don't know. It's was really a child. funny. <laughs> and he just wanted to be like, this one I guess is okay because it's for children, a, but like, yeah, don't, don't, don't mess around. Don't the yeah. Clive Barker universe. That's actually really funny. Yeah. That's my memory. That's like how I found out who Clive Barker was. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you're like reading books, you don't really care that much about the author, the author if it's like something. And I was like, oh, Clive Barker someone to know. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> I love that. Well, it's not going to end with for us. Uh, actually, we're 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 in the same boat as Kirsty. We are gonna yeah. Except we're jumping forward to number Hellraiser. nine. We're going to number nine. Is it nine? You looked it up. Yeah, it's number nine. That's a a long time in the future. Yeah. Are, are we looking, done with this one? Are you looking forward to it? Yes. I am, and I'm not, because I you know I think it's interesting. Like I you know as we talked about on this podcast before, and you know uh, I prefer modern adaptations of things. Yeah. Uh, especially when watching Hellraiser, I just, it's so gross to me. It doesn't even look real, but like this movie just made me like so unhappy with how gross it was. And I'm sure it'll be gross, but it'll be gross to me like in a very different way. Yeah. 
Um, what, what year is the is Revelation? I think 2011. Okay. So it's just, it's going to be a little bit more enjoyed anyway, and it's probably going to have the Cenobites, and I'm really excited about that. Well, that's what I'm talking about. I think, let's, if we're, if we're doing, you know, summing up this movie, I liked parts of it, and those parts had the Cenobites. I think that yes, there okay. is a really good spark. I don't know why I'm like, I'm talking about this like I'm a film critic watching <laughs> Hellraiser for the first time in 1987. There's a spark of something really good here, yeah. and it has nothing to do with what an hour of the movie is about and no. it's this family and i don't care about this family and i don't care about this plot but the cenobites are would really you, interesting would you rather it be kind of like a high fantasy story of them do you think we need a, a human connection to them sure it could be kirsty venturing alone into the world of the cenobites like okay. you know like most but high would, fantasy stories you think she should go to that world like, not necessarily you think no that's it, that's a good sequel um Right, because I think that there's that, that's way more of like an interesting high fantasy kind of story. Is like no, she, she should, finds the box, she opens it, tunnel opens, and she goes into that she world. Should come across it in a you know a a shop like a trinket shop. Yeah, what movies like this? The Page Master. Am I making this up? I never seen the Page Master. Okay, whatever. Maybe but it's I hear you. Yeah, she finds it in a store. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah. messing with it. It unleashes hell and tortures her and like ruins her life. But then she has to take up the mantle of fighting and defeating the Cenobites yes, or whatever. Yes, I think that that's way more interesting too. I think that all of the Larry Julia stuff, Frank stuff, is just like a drag. Yeah, totally. There are some good shots in this. I do want to say that. I have. Yeah. This is apropos of nothing, but the stairwell in the house—they're always like revolving around and i think yeah. it's all shot really well i think it's a really good sense of space sometimes people you know um chris is trying to leave one time and julia like moves to block her that's great from out of frame and it's really cool there's like a lot of really well shot stuff i'm glad that i mean this is clive barker's first movie i haven't seen anything else he directed uh i'm glad he learned to direct over the course of it <laughs> it, it yeah parts of it are really good i just you know you also so want, to, want to say so boring. yeah somehow i was i missed this this was made for a million dollars this is an extremely low-budget movie, wow. and I don't think it really looks like it for the most no, part. No, no, the, the practical effects look really good. I mean, they're disgusting, yeah. but they look great. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, And of course, this has become such a huge franchise, so the fact that it started with a first-time director adapting his own work mm-hmm. uh, for a million bucks is like pretty mm-hmm. cool. I think we talked about it. Uh, it's, it's actually, it looks very similar to Harbinger Down when the blood like soaks back into yes, the floorboards. Yes, into the floorboards, yeah. looks great. And then that is that was the most disgusting part to me is when he's rising out of the floorboards. Yeah, um, I think it reminded me of some other movie that we've watched, of just like when something is being pieced together in this really grotesque mm-hmm. way. Yeah, yeah, it's like really. Yeah, it's horrifying. But he's like rising out of the, and we don't know what it is at first. It's it looks like two spider legs, and then it's slowly you slowly realize that they're hands, and his yeah. rib cage is is becoming thing. It's just, it is awful to watch but you got to know that they they put so much work into that of course yeah i think the effects are all really good i think that um the acting performances are decent mm-hmm. given that everything was done in like one or two takes because they don't they can't have no money <laughs> yeah they can't afford to just like shoot a bunch of takes because yeah. they don't get a film film yeah um but i think it also explains why some of this is pretty bad like when you were saying earlier about the doctor looking like they just threw a like, oh, on an extra <laughs> they probably did <laughs> that's so funny can I talk about my favorite shot of this movie? Sure. They use all their money on makeup, and then they're like, oh, shit, we need a, we need a doctor's oh, coat. Darn uh. it. And the nurse needs to exist. It's terrible. Um, my favorite shot of this movie is, it's probably like three-fourths of the way through, because it's before Kirstie finds out about the murders, but it's when Julia's already probably murdered two people. Mm-hmm. And I think she's thinking about Frank saying, like, bring them to me, Julia. Like, murder the men. What is he saying? Feed me, Julia. Feed me, Julia. <laughs> And uh, she's sitting on, like, a couch with, like, a glass of something, and her hair is so high that it's out of the frame, <gasps> and she's wearing, like, 
cat eye makeup and she just looks so evil and I was like I love this I love this evil Julia but it was just that one shot of her looking like Julia DeVille (laughs) Julia DeVille so yeah that's who she was uh in this movie and I loved it but I wish she was like that all the time there's a lot of the time this movie that I don't care about her yeah I wish she was spending more time uh being gleefully evil and hammering people on the head yeah because she's so I love actually that the first time she murders someone she gets it all blood all over her she freaks out the second time she does it she basically just throws him in the room and is like take care of it Frank and only has to wipe off her hands and I was like ooh Julia's getting good at this yep yep (laughs) you ready to throw this in the fire I'm ready actually no I want to hold on to the puzzle box part of it Let's just burn the house down. Well, you know down. what? The big flying dragon's gonna come take it and give it back to you, so no oh, worries. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can never, we can never get rid of it. <sighs> so, next week. Next week. Relations. No roulette. For the first we time. We already had a plan. Yeah. And I'd like to announce that next week we'll have our first guest on the podcast. Yeah. You've been name dropping him for I know. weeks. Good friend James Skosky. Good old Skosky. Will be joining us to talk about Hellraiser Revelations. Mm-hmm. He specifically, in the early days of this podcast, watched Hellraiser Revelations and said... If that ever comes up on the roulette, I, you got to let me be on the episode. <laughs> and then it did. Mm-hmm. This is the James Skosky who you uh, watched all those yes. franchises with. Much of my youth. horror mm-hmm. uh, education mm-hmm. came alongside him. So. Yeah, so he's a good friend of now Screaming. Yeah. He's listening to this along with uh, you listeners, so <laughs> shouts out. Um, and he'll join us next week, and that'll be interesting. I hope, uh, I hope it's good. I hope it's good, I too. really know it's not going to be. I hope we get Cenobites. That's all I want. Yeah, more Cenobites, less um, love triangles. Please, less love triangles. Is that it for us? That is it. All right, well, uh, you can always check us out on our website at nowscreaming.com. Or on Facebook at Now Screaming, or on Twitter at Now Screaming Pod. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people... Open the puzzle box. It helps them open the puzzle box. Find us. Yeah. We'll come out of the you know the yeah. wall like the Cenobites. <laughs> if only. <laughs> uh, thanks always uh, to Jonas Lyko for our music and Anna Campbell for our logo. And thanks to Wes Craven for, you know, knowing how to do gross tastefully. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not just deciding to direct a movie out of nowhere. <laughs> he, knows what he knows what he's doing, has experience. Well, you know what? When he decided to direct a movie, uh, it was The Last House on the Left, and it's one of the most important horror movies of the 70s. So. Yeah. And I, I think Wes Craven would like this movie. I think that he probably likes Hellraiser. So I don't probably. Think, we don't have to do as much of a ironic Wes Craven thank you this time. True. It's, 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 I think that he... I do think his gore is more tasteful. I fully agree. Yeah. I mean, he's... He's the master. He's the master, yeah. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.